Phoenix LaFay. How are you? Fine. Yeah, you doing all right? <laughs> yeah. What's so, up? Well, you know, we've started the show with you being groovy, you being peachy. <laughs> this week you're just fine. Well, I guess we've gone down. <clears throat> well, that's not good. Eh, whatever. So, what are we going to talk about? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I'm sitting here with a glass of wine. Cool. I've just eaten a delicious bowl of spaghetti and meatballs, mm. and in front of it's me... It's not really spaghetti, though. No, it wasn't. It was just some random pasta that I had available. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I've got a copy of Life Ritualized, which is a new book by two fabulous, brilliant authors <laughs> by the name of Phoenix LeFay and Guion Raven. Whoa. I know. I thought I'd do, uh, we'd do a show that just actually talked about our shit. I mean, we always talk about our shit, but like... <laughs> yeah. Something we wrote. Oh, you know? okay. So, so instead of you randomly surprising me with the topic, you want me to remember a book I wrote over a year ago. <laughs> well, I wrote it too, but yeah, exactly. Sure you did. <clears throat> yeah, sure you did. <laughs> so, yeah, no. Um, yeah, no. Yeah, no, yeah. So I've got, uh, I thought we'd go through it, but rather than going, you know, what inspired one. you? Right, yeah. Yeah, I don't want to do that. But there are a couple of sections in the book that I find really interesting mm-hmm. um, as both the person that wrote or co-wrote those sections and also just kind of generally, I think. So um, first and foremost... Can I just say that I think it's hilarious that you are pointing to things that you wrote and finding them interesting? <laughs> well, I'm an interesting bloke. <laughs> and I also wrote this them a year ago. This is where you and I differ. You're we, like, well, actually, that's not true. I ha- I will admit there have been times where I've come across something that I wrote, like a blog or, or even I'll open up a book I've written and flip to a page and be like, wow, that sounds brilliant. I can't believe I wrote that. Right, right. And, you know, there's also the bit of me that reads something I wrote and went, oh, I could have done better on that. <laughs> but you know what? The book is printed. I love it. It looks amazing. It's very pretty. And we're going to talk about it. Okay. So, um... For those of you that that might not know, Phoenix and I have written a book called Life Ritualized, A Witch's Guide to Honoring Life's Important Moments. Uh, We co-wrote the book, which was an interesting process. We Mm. both had different things to add in. We had to think about how we wanted to blend our voice or differentiate our stories. It's uh, a couple hundred, uh, almost 300 pages, right? So it's uh, it's, not a long book. 300 pages, no. No, 200 pages. 200 pages, including a bibliography and glossary right so you know it's a pretty easy book to read it's one yeah. of those things you could probably read through in a weekend but our hope is that it's one of those books that you pull off the shelf frequently when you've got different uh rituals yeah. that you want to do so there's about 60 different rituals in this book but the way we wrote them was from the perspective of a rite of passage so it's not just you know, an in-bulk ritual or a Beltane ritual. Yeah. Or, well, you know. and, you know, I would go a step further with that and say the impetus of this book was to talk about rites of passage. Oh, yeah. You know, the 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 title that a book ends up being is not necessarily the title you imagined or even what you may have called it while you were working on it. So while we were working on this book, we weren't calling it Life Ritualized. We were calling it Rites of Passage. Right. Or Modern <clears throat> Rites of Passage. So, you know, it's... um. I, I do like the title, but it's not a title either of up ca- either of us came up with. Right. Yeah. So the book is divided into different sections. Uh, we do talk about what rites of passages are, like mm. historically what they are. We talk about some big rites of passage that we all go through, like birth and, and death. Um, you know, <laughs> how conscious right? of those we are. But, you know, nonetheless, we do talk about that. 
But then the thrust of the book is really about these modern rites of passages that we go through that most everybody, certainly folks that live in the United States, uh, Europe, North America in general, uh, perhaps Australia and places like that, many folk go through these kinds of uh, rites and rituals as as pagans, right? It's obviously written from a witch and pagan perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, so we wanted to, again, move out of just the celebrational rituals that happen at seasonal times of year or the big ones like birth and death, although we do talk about those, yes. um, and really bring it into the everyday. Because you have a theory, and I tend to agree with it, that one of the things that um, many folk are lacking who are not part of indigenous or native cultures that have continued with um, cultural rites of passage mm-hmm. that there just aren't very many and so we've lost a connection to that right yeah i think it's a detriment of our society actually it's part of the the dis-ease so to speak of our uber culture is that we lack a connection to mystery we lack a connection to magic generally speaking i think probably folks who are listening to this podcast would not fall into that category but you don't have to look very far outside of maybe your witchcraft and pagany circle to see that most people don't honor their rites of passages. They, you know, they might go to a wedding, they might go to a baby shower, and that's about as much as it is at buy- buying a gift and the free booze, right? Yeah. So there, but there's there's more to these transitions. They're huge moments in our lives, and if we take a moment to ritualize them, to give them more space, it can bring more mystery. Yeah, and I also would say, counter a bit, which mm-hmm. we do in the book, I would also say that even as witches and pagans and heathens and druids and, you know, all the flavors that, that make up the, the pagan world, even we often only look at, you know, the births, the deaths, the marriages, the the, the sabbats or the seasonal rites, we often only look at them and walk past a thousand different rites of passage or a thousand different rituals that we could do um, to make all of life sacred, not just, oh, well, I guess, you know, Beltane is coming up or I guess Ostara is coming up or whatever the next, you know, Sabbath might be. Mm -hmm. Um, I think there are ways that we can honor, as the book says, life's most important moment. So I want to take two sections of the book. Uh, We don't have to go through each ritual, but... Just to give folks kind of a, a flavor of two areas that I thought were particularly uh, intriguing. He, ha- he has the book right. out in front of him, and it's making me feel like I'm a bad student. You wrote the book. You should know. Oh, I, mean, oh, I found a note in my book. Oh, that's nice. Um, so um, two chapters that I think are particularly interesting. Yeah. One of them is... Uh, rights of leveling up mm. and one of the chapters chapter five is rights of personal identity yeah and i think these are areas that we could really discuss a, a little bit more so chapter four rights of leveling up for folks listening has got things in it like graduations getting driver's licenses starting a new job moving into a new home uh, marriage and retirement and and I remember specifically you came up with this title rights of leveling up yeah so first of all um say a little bit about what you mean by leveling up like I don't want people to think like oh 
fuck, now I've got to achieve something else, <laughs> right? So what do you mean by rights of leveling up? And then talk about how that applies to, you know, a couple, three of these. Yeah, well, these are things that are, you know, really looking at our main society's markers. So, you know, some of the things, graduating, getting a driver's license, uh, starting a new job, like these are markers of growth in our culture. So just because you may not be stoked about the way our overculture functions, you know, you might, you know, have your feelings about capitalism and blah, blah, blah. But we all live in that society still, you know. Mm -hmm. So why not make those moments magical? Why not add ritual? Why not add mystery into those moments and give them the wet breath, breath that they deserve, right? So... You know, it, it is leveling up to get a new job most of the time. <laughs> you know, it is leveling up to get your driver's license. It's a step forward. It's a step into a, a, the next echelon. Because you've gone from a, a non-driver who might be reliant on parents or public transport yeah. or what have you to being a, um, a, a licensed driver. Graduating yeah. could mean graduating from, you know, kindergarten to elementary or elementary to middle school or middle school to high school or any of the, the higher educations that you might go into beyond that. So celebrating, graduating, getting a bachelor's degree, for instance. Right. Well, like, for example, one year, my niece graduated from elementary school going into middle school. My daughter graduated from high school going into college. My other daughter graduated from college. And then my sister graduated from her master's program all within just a couple of months of each other. Those are all huge steps of leveling up. You've completed a huge body of work. You've successfully done whatever it is that system tells you you need to do to get to the next step. You're not going to go to the same campus anymore. You're not going to see the same people anymore. You're not going to be in the same buildings. Everything is different when you move into that next echelon. And you're viewed differently, right? So yeah. your, your sister had a master's degree. How many people get a master's degree? Not many. Well, in my family, zero. Zero, right. Our uh, our daughter who graduated college at the time, I think it was with her AA and she was transferring mm -hmm. over to Sonoma State at the time. Right. She had completed a level of education that our other children had not at that point. Right. Um, and obviously, our niece uh, was moving from you know the kids' school into into middle school, which is a, a, you know a completely different um, step up, yeah. right? And in every case, the expectations are different. Societally, you oh you you're a college graduate, good for you. Right. You'll earn more. You're viewed differently. You carry more power or authority, and that's really what the whole book talks about, right? As yeah. you move through these different rites of passage, you. A change. You're viewed differently. You're held differently. You have different rights, like R I G H T S. Yeah. You have different rights and responsibilities within your community, whether that's pagan, familial, you know, whatever it might be. Yeah. Well, I think that's one of the things that's different about this book over other books about rites of passage or shifts of life or whatever, because there are other books out there. But in this book, we actually go into talking about how you're looked at differently, how your community might hold you differently, and how you have to, not only are you going through the initiation of that process, but then you become the initiator. So for, like with my niece, for example, going from elementary school to middle school, well, you might think, well, she's done, but no, she's got younger siblings. So at some point she'll be 
shepherding her younger siblings through the process that she went through. She becomes the initiator. Yeah, and so, with our, yeah. with our um, uh, my sister-in-law, with, with our sister, she got her master's degree and was able to help our daughter transition from junior college to the same college that she graduated right. from and also helped her, um, gave her some guideposts to get in her master's degree. Right. And now our daughter is enrolled in a, in a master's program. Similarly, that daughter helped our uh, youngest daughter into the JC process. Right. So they became, again, they had the knowledge. They were the wisdom holders. They were the, here's the best way to gain the system. Yeah. Here, here are the hacks you need. Yeah, but you get looked at differently when you've mm. completed mm. a major working, whether that's having a baby or getting a new job or whatever. Getting divorced. Right? You're looked at differently by your community, your small community, your family, your friends, but also the larger community where you live and and even in the larger context of our culture, you're looked at differently. And so we address some of that in this book that I think other books about rites of passages don't really talk about. I think we also talked about, or at least it was thematic throughout the book, you know, sometimes we think about the gain. So like in the leveling up um, uh, rites of passage, okay, great, I've got my bachelor's degree, I've got my master's degree, I've got the job that I wanted and the title or the income or, you know, whatever it is. But you also sacrifice yeah. some stuff. There's often, there's loss. And it might not be your loss. Like, um, uh, you know, I, I talked about when uh, one of our daughters moved out. Yeah. She was excited. It was, she moved out under all the best circumstances, right? Yeah. Um, she was going to college, you know, everything was great. And her rite of passage was becoming a college student. Right. My rite of passage as her father was quote unquote losing my baby girl right well we have the chapter of leveling up and then we have the chapter of rights of loss right right because a rite of passage even if you experience a loss you know the death or whatever uh, a child moving out empty nest all of that kind of thing it might feel like something's gone or being taken away but you're still moving forward you're still getting bigger you're still growing you're still developing skill so there is still this leveling up that's happening really in any rite of passage that you go through. Although when you're in it, you might not feel like like the da 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 da, you know, that right. kind of energy might not be coming through when your beloved pet has died. Right. You know, it, you are gaining wisdom, but it doesn't feel as motivating or successful or whatever as a rite of leveling up might feel. So Specifically, we talk about graduation, driver's license, new job, new home, marriage, and retirement. And there's a part at the beginning of this chapter, as there is in other chapters, that says what these rights have in common. Yeah. So we've probably talked around it a bit, but, you know, what what are the things that these rights have in common, would you say? In the leveling up or in general? Yeah, yeah in the leveling up. Yeah, I think that in the leveling, I mean, for this, it is, it's their success stories. Yeah. You know, you you completed the task, you checked all the boxes, you passed the test, you know, you you're moving forward in some way, shape or form. So it it is a you know, it's like when you play Super Mario and he eats the mushroom and he goes from being little Mario to big Mario. It's like that. You know, you you get you eat the mushroom and you become big Mario. <laughs> 
That's the most magical way I can explain it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm going to explain it in the way we wrote it in the book. Oh, look at you being fancy. <laughs> it says, at first glance, getting a driver's license is not at all like getting married. Moving into a new home or graduating might not seem like they have a lot in common. But when you strip away the labels and you're left with uh, what you're left with does have a unifying theme. And, and that's the notion of becoming something more. The rites of passage that are occurring here are the rites of growth and becoming. I love that, mm-hmm. right? The rites of growth and becoming. Getting a driver's license can equate to responsibility and freedom. Graduating speaks to a level of mastery that had not been previously attained. And with that mastery comes new layers of opportunities and respect. When you get married, you are seen as someone who has made an important long-term commitment. When we look at the stages of the rites of passage, you know, we can sort of see them here, right? Mm-hmm. That like, Everything is there, two becoming one, one becoming more. You know, like all of these these pieces that we talk about in the book, um, these different phases of rites of passage or initiation are all contained in those rites, even though they might seem trite. Oh, whatever, Susie Q got her driver's license, whatever. But that can mean a huge change in that person's lifestyle. Um, You know, I talk about this in the book a little bit, but, you know, while while I loved that my sons and daughters, son and daughters, um, got their driver's licenses, and we certainly celebrated that, I was also left with a level of fear. You know, I I was proud and and happy and it meant that I didn't have to drive them everywhere all the time. But then there's the worry that comes with being a parent, knowing your kid is out in a 2,500 pound vehicle that, you know, is dangerous, dangerous. right? Um, And so this this level of, uh, I leveled up, my my worry level (laughs) changed, you know, for a while there. So that's really interesting. Yeah. So the... The next chapter in the book is rights of personal identity. Mm-hmm. And, you know, of all the, the chapters, I love everything we wrote in the book, but this was one that I know was important for the two of us to get right. So some of the rights of personal identity include things like coming of age, mm-hmm. coming out, yeah, taking on a new name, yeah, which, you know, in magical communities we do. Um, and then the, the golden age, right? Like the retirement years and, right. and what have you, whatever that, that might mean to you. So personal identity, um, talk a little bit about that. You know, what's, what's important about those rites of passage to you? What do you think? Uh, I don't know. That's such a difficult question. Well, I think there it's, it's highly personal and subjective. How you come out, who you come out to, how you take a name, who you share it with. You know, and and so that's, uh, there is a cost, there is, um, there can be fear, there can be all kinds of other things wrapped it, into it, it might, it, it is leveling up and it's loss at the same time, you know, you, depending on your life circumstances, stepping more fully into who you are, stepping more fully into acknowledging your personal identity comes with a risk. You know, so that that can be a challenge. And, you know, to be clear, both of us are queer people, but neither of us are trans people. And so we did enlist Misha Magdalene, who is the author of Outside the Charm Circle and writes about trans issues and 
so on and so forth. And trans magic. Yes. And they wrote the the section about coming out and sharing uh, and wrote the ritual for that piece, which is super beautiful. So, you know, I think that's another place where, you know, I could express how it was to come out as bisexual to my family, but I couldn't, ex- I couldn't really talk about more than that. Uh, you know, and I've been in a quote unquote heteronormative relationship for most of my adult life. So oh, who with? Oh, I'll tell you later. Okay. Um, but you know, so I, I feel like that was a place where it was really important for us to not write something that neither of us have perspective on. And that is true throughout the book. There are sections, you know, for example, uh, you wrote about miscarriage. I didn't. Yeah, which I think would surprise some people. Right. I've never experienced a miscarriage, and you have. Not physically, obviously, but you have from the position of of losing a child. I I don't have that experience. So, you know, we we wrote about the situations that we actually have a connection to um, because it felt important to have that authentic experience of it. Yeah, Yeah. I think I wrote about abortion as well, didn't I? Yeah. Yeah, which is interesting. And I think <clears throat> you're right. I think these, the personal identity rights are, for me, are some of the the juiciest ones in the book. Mm-hmm. You know, they're the ones that I think carry a lot of charge. Um, so as an example, one of them is, is taking a name. Yeah. So you don't necessarily have to reveal your 700 magical names, <laughs> but... Um, you know, um, Phoenix was not your your birth name. No, it's a name you took on. Um, can you just say a little bit about like what that process was like, and how, and if you ritualized it, and, yeah. if, and if you didn't, um, or you don't want to share it, how have you been part of naming ceremonies for other people? It's so funny because we were watching this show on Netflix called Lock and Key. And last night, we were like so behind on the show. It's been out for a long time and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, I love it. It's got all the things that I love about fantasy and fiction. And I just love it. But in the episode we watched last night, the characters almost drowned. They get stuck at the ocean. And uh, when they are successful from the ordeal, sorry, spoilers, uh, they kind of like they're young people and they're like, oh, my God, we totally almost just died. Ha ha ha. And I was internally totally cracking up because when I went through my naming rite and ritual, uh, I was with two coven mates. We went out to the ocean, out to the beach. We did this full on ritual and it was pouring down with rain and we had to cross a river to get out from where we were and we totally almost drowned. A river that like bisected, <laughs> yeah. like you were, it, there was the ocean, the beach, the river, and then where your and then car where, was. And then where the parking lot is, right. So normally <clears throat> under normal circumstances, you know, you can just take your shoes off and cross this little creek and it's no big deal. And that's what we did going out to the ocean. Mm-hmm. But then on the way back, the rain had started. It was pouring. And, and the what, tide had come in. Right. And was what was a creek when we originally crossed it was almost to our waists. And we definitely got stuck in the water and it was super dangerous and stupid. But right after we ended up like stopping at this little restaurant on the coast and we were like, ha ha ha, we almost just died. (laughs) (laughs) And so we went out to the beach to do this naming ritual, to do a ritual to acknowledge because each of us had taken a magical name. Uh, And it ended up being like a real full on physical um, 
test, you know, almost like what you go through in initiation, which I want to talk about our stages of initiation. But it took me a long time to get to that name. I looked at, I went into meditation. I asked allies for advice. I asked for messages and dream in my dreams. And and I had like... Uh, Over years. mm -hmm. Yeah. And I had like a handful of names that were potentials or question marks or or made something happen you know in my body uh, and, and this is one naming process because I also have an initiation name and then an initiation name in a different tradition that are different names and they happened in different ways but Phoenix the name Phoenix that I took on Phoenix Le Fay, actually very specifically Phoenix Le Fay, came after years of soul searching and working with allies and uh, and then deciding, okay, at Imbolc in 2010, that's the date I'm taking this name. Yeah, which yeah. was good because I was really scared you were going to go with Brian Sikowski. And I, you it, always try to say my name is Brian, and it ain't. It is. It's Brian. It's one of your magical names. It ain't. <laughs> if so, you want to give me one of Dumbledore's names, I'd rather have Alfred. Kevin. Gavin's not one of Dumbledore's names. <laughs> Mike. <laughs> Phoenix has a long list of names, but it is true that process was uh, very personal. Uh, it took you a long time to come to that name. You tested it, if you will, like you you kind of is this the right name? Am I you know do I just want this name? You know do I want to be called Lilith because it's the cool name right now yeah. of a god? You know whatever it is, and you you really felt into it and really had to feel it in your bones. And I remember kind of the aha moment you had yeah. when there was something else from your life that's very meaningful to you. And you kind of, I could see you put two and two together and go, oh, this important thing happened. And the name Phoenix was attached to it. And, um, you know, other things are important about that name. This is the name. Right. And yeah. as soon as you said it, um, it, it, it was you. Yeah. And, and it and you know and I know you by other names, and none of those seem to fit. Yeah, and um, you know it's funny because it's not like it's not necessarily just about the bird, the magical bird. That's part of it, but there's other things that Phoenix is wrapped up with that, uh, you know, there was just like you said, there were these different points, and then all of a sudden they all kind of fell yeah. in together. Yeah, yeah, and that's you know again. I think that's the thing. You took the long view of it, yeah, right, and and came up with it. So you said you wanted to say something about uh, stages of initiation, right? So one of the things that we offer here in rites of passages is to look at these sort of specific moments and to break a rite of passage down into these moments because really a rite of passage can be getting married, getting a new job, some of these moments that we've been talking about, but it can also be anything that's going on in your life, anything that's going on at all that you feel is important to um, ritualize or magicalize, for lack of a better word. But we pin it down to these, I feel like it's five, but I'm looking at the book and it says four, these moments where there's the catalyst, the ordeal, alone and yet in community, and then the advisor, right? So we, you know, we go into details about all of these moments, and in each section we talk about how these moments might play themselves out, but really the, the catalyst is the moment the decision is made. So sometimes you have control over the catalyst, like you can decide, 
I think I want to be initiated into Gardnerian Wicca. There's your catalyst. The initiation ritual isn't the catalyst. It's you deciding, I want to do this, right? Where if your father dies, there, you don't, the catalyst happens to you. You don't get the moment to choose. You don't choose for that to happen in most cases. Right, in most cases, right? It's so, so the catalyst isn't always a moment that's yours. Sometimes it's a moment that's given to you. It's foisted upon you right. sometimes, right. forced on you. Right, but then the ordeal is how you go through that process. And that might be with Gardnerian. I want to be initiated into Gardnerian Wicca. So that might be finding other Gardnerian Wiccans. That might be learning about Gerald Gardner. That, you know, the ordeal is what you go through where... With the opposite kind of catalyst, with your father dying suddenly, the ordeal may be dealing with all his legal papers and getting a death certificate. And dealing with your grief. Absolutely. but it's, So it's the emotional, it's spiritual, and it's the mundane things that you have to do to go through that rite of passage. Yeah. Alone and yet in community is this point that we were sort of, or I guess I was talking about before. You go through everything in your life alone illness wellness happiness sadness it's yours it's just yours and you might be held or supported or guided or whatever but you are going through it and so this is this this part of a rite of passage is this weird acknowledgement that you are going through this right and yet you are held you are supported you are looking at who's really there for you and all of the ways that community can show up. We talked about that with, I think with um, like giving birth, right? Obviously the, the person that is giving birth, the person who has a sprog inside of them that is trying to push it out, yes, you know, um, that person absolutely <laughs> is going through the birth process themselves. However, the child is, that is being born is going through the birth process. Yeah, we process. never really talk about that. Not culturally, anyway. Right. It's the, not easy to be born. Right. The the mother, or or or, you know, I'll just use that for easy terminology. But the the mother, the father, the best friend, the partner, whoever else is involved with it, is standing there, right. holding your hand, rubbing your back. Also, in the moment that you are physically giving birth, if you're the person giving birth, your partner, if you have a partner or partners. They are becoming parents right. at that moment. So it's one singular event, right. but many people are having a different experience well, your of parents are becoming grandparents. Your children are getting siblings. Your, the doctor is delivering its hundredth baby. You know, everyone is yeah. checkmarking a box, Yeah. right? So there's this idea that we go through it alone, and yet we have all these community members with us. Yeah. And then there's the the fourth step, which we talked to about, about before, becoming the advisor. And we gave the example, I don't think we need to talk about this one too long, but we gave the example already about our own kids and how going through the rite of passage of finishing school was then able to help other kids navigate the system of finishing school and applying for scholarships. You become the advisor. You've been through it. No one can give you advice on how to get through something that hasn't been, well... That hasn't been through it themselves. As I was saying it, I could hear a little voice in my head going, that's not true, but... People do give you advice all the time. What you have to do is use your witch's tool of discernment and yes. go, does this person know what the fuck they are talking right, about? Because there's lots of, of doctors who have never given birth and don't possess the body parts required in order to give birth. And they give 
lovely and sound advice and are excellent doctors. Um, personally, I prefer to engage it when I was in that process myself. I preferred to work with people who had been through that process because I felt like they had firsthand experience. Right. Right. That's just me. But, you know, uh, you can definitely give advice. But when you've been through it yourself, you know what worked for you. Yeah. It doesn't mean it'll work for me, but at least it's firsthand experience. You know, when I was uh, 21-ish, so, mm -hmm. you know, back in the 16th century. Yep. Um, <clears throat> when the dinosaurs roamed the earth yep. and the Oregon people were coming over in wagons. Yep, that's the one. <laughs> the Oregon people. <laughs> Uh, oh boy <laughs> so, speaking of education yeah um yeah, i grew so, up in california yeah um <laughs> wow i was gonna go into a very serious subject now sorry let's get serious no so when i was in my very early 20s my my dad died and many most people i would say don't lose a parent when they are in their 20s right right and hopefully that's something when your parents get older and yeah. you are too and it was very interesting because I had one other friend who's about the same age uh, as I am yeah. uh, who had also lost his father uh, a year or two beforehand. Right. And he was the only person I could talk to about it. Yeah. Because, you know, we used to joke that we were both in the same club. It was the shittiest club in the world. Yeah. But he was quite literally the only friend of mine who had any sense of what it was like right. to lose a parent. Right. Um, and quickly and suddenly, like the, the circumstances were, right. were quite it's similar. Unexpected. Yeah. yeah. And so, uh, while all of my friends at the time gave me comfort, gave me solace, um, you know, did all the right things. Yeah. And were sad themselves because they, oh, they, they loved knew my him. Dad. Yeah. yeah. They loved my dad. Um, only that one friend yeah. could guide me. Right. Um, and gave me advice that I have given to other people who have lost someone. Yeah. I've given that same advice you know, too many times over in yeah. my lifetime, and I'll continue to give it. It was really good advice, but um, it's, uh, it's only meant to come from someone to someone right. that's in that club. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that, that's my role as advisor. Right, because right, I'm initiated into the club of right. losing a parent. Right, you know, and as witches and pagans, we might think of initiation as a very specific thing relating to a lineage or a tradition of witchcraft or paganism or or whatever. But really, we're initiated, going through initiation or being initiators all the time for mundane, regular, everyday life practices. And that's, you know, at least for me, that's a lot of what this book is about, is bringing, making space for some of that recognition of initiation into something that seems more mundane. Because really nothing is, everything is sacred. Getting your driver's license is sacred. Going through these steps is sacred. And I know, speaking with our, my editor, you know, one of the things we talk about in the book is the loss of a pet. And that's so glossed over. In our in the culture, our overculture, like I, my I had a dear dear friend lose a pet, and she was inconsolable because her two pets are her whole life. She is a single lady, lives alone. Um, they're her kids. They're her best friends. They're her best friends. They bring her joy and delight on the daily. And when one of her pets passed, she very suddenly, very, yeah, suddenly she w went through a d deep depression and that's not unusual. 
Uh, you know, we don't give bereavement time when someone loses their cat. Our culture, our, you know, no corporation is giving someone a couple of days off. You know, you only get three days when your mom dies. They're not going to give you any time when your cat dies, you right. know. <laughs> but there should be space made for that grief, especially, I think, witches and pagans, because we do tend to develop tighter bonds, sweeter bonds, more aware bonds, maybe, with our beloved little fur babies and yeah, feathered babies. if someone, you know, thinks of their, their companion, four-legged, two-legged, flying companion. Slithering. Slithering, <laughs> right, as a... As a familiar, right. you know, a magical ally. Yeah. To lose a magical ally can be devastating. Yeah. I mean, not to mention, I mean, we both went through that. You know, we, we had a, a dear, dear friend, our dog Josie, yeah. who was part of our family for uh, about 13, 14 years. She was that dog. That's how I always describe her. You know, our kids, I think when we got Josie, were... Uh, two, eight, and and twelve or thirteen or something like that. So she was the dog that our youngest learned, you know, that you don't pull on a dog's ears. And this lovely, sweet black lab would lay there and go, oh god, the kid's pulling on my ears and my tail again, you know. And she was the dog that slept at the foot of the bed. She was the dog that when the first boyfriend or girlfriend broke up with one of our kids, they cried into her shoulders, you know, like she was that dog yeah. that. That was the amazing family dog. I miss her to this day. She's only been gone, what, four years now, something like something that. Like but that. I miss her every day still. She would have loved this house that we're living in. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, I just, I think about that. Like, I, it was so difficult to lose her for so, so many reasons. Yeah. And, and we knew it was coming. Um, and, you know, her passing was quick and loving and in her own bed, in her own home. And, yeah. But when I, it's funny, I don't spend that much time on Facebook anymore, but when I am on there so many times, so many people are posting our beloved Mr. Tiddlewinks yeah. has gone or Fluffy the Amazing Wonder Dog has passed on and everyone has a story about losing their pet and they honor their pets. And, yeah. And, um, you know, we've got on our ancestor altar, we've got Josie's um, collar. We've got a footprint that was cast mm -hmm. in... Um, Your fingernail. Uh, uh, like, yeah, <laughs> plaster of Paris with a fingernail. We have some fur. Yeah. You know, we have all these things that remind us of her because she's part of... She's no... We have ashes of three of our cats yeah. on the ancestor altar. They're, they're no different than... Um, from a, a relationship standpoint, right. we had as close a relationship with those folks as we have, you know, with, with, with humans. Yeah. And, you know, I think about that, you know, uh, Bear Claw the cat is one of our cats who's on our altar. For a while, Phoenix's longest relationship yeah. with the male was with Bear Claw the cat. You can read cat. more about him in the book, actually. Yeah, he's in the he book. He gets mentioned. He does. It's actually, it's, that's a funny little um, segue because what I was thinking is one also something that I think is fun as a reader. I like to get like personal anecdotes and information from the person who wrote the book. Do you mean anecdotes? I do. <laughs> I That's exactly what I mean. Uh, but this book is littered with you and I sharing little personal stories and, and it's not in every section but in several sections we each share 
a little story about that how we may have gone through that rite of passage ourselves how it was in our own lives how we got through it so on and so forth like you you get to read all about my divorce (laughs) (laughs) you get to read about bear claw you know so i think that's fun like i as a reader i like that and so i thought that was a a fun and interesting way that we really personalized this book it's not just concept it's it's actual life. Yeah, here's a rite of passage that you might be going through. Here's how we went through it, or right. I went through it, or you went through right. it. Here's how it impacted me. Maybe you'll find something similar. It's a really personal book. You'll learn a lot about Phoenix and I. Yeah. Probably too much. But. Well, and I think you know that's what I was saying earlier. Rites of passage are extremely personal. And you know, before we started talking about this, the the way you can sort of identify a rite of passage, anything can be turned into that. You know, we mark these specific moments that most of us go through and most of us can acknowledge and most of us can and um, recognize as a rite of passage. But there may, may be things that are only a part of your life or your family or something that you're going through that's a rite of passage. And, and at the end of the book, we talk about DIY and how to create ritual or acknowledgement uh, or just to pause and be in whatever rite of passage feels important to marker. Yeah, I think that was one of the things I was most pleased about with the book is that it, for sure there are, you know, the, the 60 or so rituals that we put in there. And, and anybody going through a similar rite of passage could take the rituals that we've written in there and, and do them as is. Mm-hmm. You can adapt and adjust them. We give lots of space for you to adjust and adapt them to your own situation. Yeah. And then, as you said, there's this kind of DIY section where you can do it yourself. Um, and we give you maybe some some tools or tips or magical tricks or whatever to you know, to be able to create your own rituals. And I think that's actually the important thing. Why it was so important for us to include our own personal rituals and our own personal stories was so that you could see how we did it. Mm-hmm. So that if you go through a similar rite of passage or whatever rites of passage you're going through, you've got this template, you right. know, you've got this marker where you can say, oh, how did they do that? Right. You know, not, not because we're brilliant, but because... We wrote the book. <laughs> no, because <laughs> no, not because we're brilliant, but because we've gone through it, and you might find value in that. Yeah, um, where you might not feel comfortable going. Hey, Mike, you lost your dad six weeks ago. What was that like? Right, right. You can read this book and go, oh, "Fuck me, I'm going to go through that situation in a few weeks. Maybe there's something in here for me." Yeah. So d- do talk about that. Like, what's the importance of ritualizing it? What do you mean? Well, any rite of passage, like you mentioned, uh, you know, we use the, so you want to be initiated into a particular tradition. Mm-hmm. Um, in many cases, there's, like you said, whatever lead up work there is to getting ready for that initiation yeah. or going through that rite of passage. And then there's the actual trial or ordeal or the culmination, the ritual of going through it, yeah. right? So what is it that is important? Why is it important to mark these transitions? Because really whether it's getting a driver's license or burying your dog or um, getting married or divorced or, you know, whatever it is, adopting yeah. a child, whatever it is, you know, these, these profound, these moments profoundly change our lives. Yeah. Sometimes for the very best and sometimes, you know, horrendously so, right? So what is the importance of ritualizing it? What does that do? So you're like, oh, great, my dad's dead. Oh, I suppose I better do a ritual, right? Like why? Yeah. Why do we do that? Yeah, it's... Uh, you know, when I was going through my initiation into the reclaiming tradition, one of my initiators described it as a frame. 
It's just you're, the way it, she sort of laid it out for me is that we're always in an initiation of some way, shape, or form. We're always going through some initiation. And the the timing of a reclaiming initiation, which is a, a very long topic that we can talk about another time, is a frame. So you can blame everything in your life while you're in your reclaiming tradition initiation on initiation. In fact, people are like, oh yeah, I think you're going through that initiation, huh? Like, no, no. Everyone gets divorced. Not everyone. Many people get divorced. Many people lose a parent. Many people have to move. Many, everyone goes through hardship. Your initiation doesn't cause it. But it gives you a framework from which to look at it in a different perspective. Yeah. So the ritualizing of any process is gives it's a frame. It gives you a moment to pause. It gives you a moment to acknowledge. Sometimes it might even give you a moment to step back from the the grief or the oh the huge emotion that you have attached to it and start to move that through and and revel. Yeah. Like if it's more of a joyous situation to revel in the thing that you've yeah. accomplished or whom you're becoming or right. whatever right. to take a moment. You know, I think about um I've been married twice. Uh, what? I have. I know, <laughs> Phoenix. One of them to you. What? Yeah. Holy cow. I know, it's crazy. But I do remember in my first wedding, it happened so... It didn't happen quickly. You know, it took hours. You know, you know? I've had four weddings, even though I've only been married twice. Wait, what? Yeah. Go on. Oh, I'm Your curious first to hear about Because you've had three weddings. Oh, yeah. 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 I, I, now I know where you're going with that. Um, so I've been married twice. Yeah. I've had three weddings. Yeah. Uh, have had had. Have did do des. <laughs> um, but my, the first wedding, I was so, you know, it was such a blur. I don't, yeah. I didn't remember it. Which you hear people say. All right? the time. That's like advice to the newlyweds. Right. Like, Revel in this moment. Make sure you eat. <laughs> yeah. Right. But I, I remember when you and I decided to get married the second time yes mysteries here when we got married we reveled right we made it a whole weekend event yeah our wedding was not you know a a 30 minute ceremony and a four-hour reception our our wedding was five days and and it was friends and food and this massive meal and hot tubbing with all of our friends it was this really grim but we reveled right and the actual ceremony we designed and I, I remember your mum saying that wedding was the two of you. Which it should be. Well, right. But she said, <laughs> you know, it, it wasn't. She, she said it was clear that we invited people to join in our celebration yeah. of our hand fasting. Right. That we didn't, you know, it wasn't, well, I have to wear this dress because that's what my mum says. And we have to have this prayer because that's what, you know, my dad's tradition says. or You know, right. anything like that. Not that those things are invalid. They, no, no, no. They are. But so many times I think when people get married, they do it to please everybody else. Right. And we just please ourselves. Right. And other people got to come along and enjoy it. And I think they did. Yeah. And that's something that I think we talk about in the in the book, in this do-it-yourself ritual is create the ritual that's going to be most meaningful for you. For you. Yeah. And if you can't, because you're in grief or right. you know, whatever, find the people in your life who can create that ritual for you. Because I think... It's not just grief either. Sometimes, no, no, no. sometimes it is also the moment of joy. Like, for example, you know, I think from an overculture perspective, 
we we get graduation sure that's a rite of passage we get marriages and weddings maybe even birth like having a child right like Mm -hmm. we get that but there really isn't much for anything else but you don't throw your own baby shower typically you know someone else does that for you Mm. typically typically you know so it's like do you want to have a regular baby shower where you're just given lots of gifts to help you navigate this new thing of having a baby that's lovely or do you want to create a moment where you can do some magic for an easy labor yeah or do you want to create a moment where you are adorned and dressed and decorated your physical body so that you can step into the labor and delivery process with more ease and confidence right so there's you know there's the the baby shower and then there's the baby blessing which for me is much more focused on the labor and delivery process and honestly uh, for having gone through it that is what i cared about that's what i was scared of that's what was terrifying was that this creature was going to come out of my body and how the hell am i going to survive that i wanted magical infrastructure (laughs) to help with that you know and i I needed help with the baby shit too because it's expensive and i was broke at that point in life i do think about that like i you know one of the things that when you talk about you giving birth one of the things that you often talk about is this um poem yeah that you read that was a no, mantra memorized. you memorized, yeah. right? So it was your mantra. Like yeah. you recited this over and over and over again. Yeah. Will you just tell our listeners the A, what the poem was, and then B, who wrote it, well, and I, then the conversation that you had with that person a billion years later? I don't have it all memorized anymore. No, no, no. But... Oh, the path to the top of the Torah is also the spiraled way to the woman within, a journey a voyage to the source, the center, the goddess. She whose name can only be called. I can't. That's where I start to lose it. But anyway, I still have it printed and hanging in at an altar. And who wrote that? Uh, Gina Talindrew, who's the founder of the Sisterhood of Avalon. Um, and back at that time, you know, my kid's nineteen almost. So back at that time. I was loosely affiliated with the Sisterhood of Avalon. I was into it because it was all the things I loved: sisterhood. Avalon, goddesses, the Tor, Glastonbury, like all of the things. But I wasn't a part of the community. Like I, I wasn't in the sisterhood. I was sisterhood adjacent. Uh, and I've since met her, you know, who is the founder of this tradition. I, where She's delightful. I would say we're acquaintances, probably not friends. Well, but... she lives on the other side of the country. Yeah, I think if we, we see lived each closer, other at friends. like PantheaCon and stuff. But um, I reached out to ask if I could include her poem in the book, specifically in the section about labor and delivery. Uh, and I made it very clear that, you know, she's like, that's not what that poem was written for. <laughs> like, yeah, no, I know. But it just spoke to me so much. I used it as a mantra to help me get through pain. Uh, and she let us use it, so it is in the book. Yeah, and you—I think you're downplaying it. You've you've met Gina many many times now, and about yeah. lots, and you've told her that story as yeah. well. Yeah, so. yeah. But it, it is that's an interesting right a passage in itself, right? So oh, actually, now I found it. I'm going to read it. Okay. The path to the top of the tour is also the spiraled way to the woman within, a journey of growth, empowerment, and self understanding, voyage to the source the center the goddess she whose name can only be found in the silence of the soul delve into your darkness enter your pain conquer your fear call the barge to take you to the holy island of healing which resides within and emerged renewed 
The mysteries of Avalon are alive. Her apples are red and sweet. Do you dare take a bite? Become the woman you were born to be. Remember. Even reading it, I'm getting like chills and emotional. But then at some point... Phoenix, and I write Phoenix about this. Tears in her eyes yeah, right I write about this in my little like an, personal story piece. But at some point, I couldn't recite that anymore because it was too painful. And so the mantra I said, which I've used many times over the years, this is just a moment in time. This is just a moment in time. This is just a moment in mm-hmm. time. And that helped me get through it. You know. Yeah. So there's also like some tips, <laughs> <laughs> some tips and tricks on how to get through it. I do think that's amazing, you know, become the woman you are destined to be, mm-hmm. essentially. And I think about that, yeah. you know, 23-year-old Phoenix giving birth, you know, almost 20 years later, the person that wrote that poem, you, you know, count on your list of friends and mentors, yeah. someone that you know. 23-year-old Phoenix wouldn't have dared to write a No, to, I don't think I person. even would have been cognizant that that was a person, right. you know what I mean? It was more like, that's the sisterhood. <laughs> you know, it was yeah. like this block of power that yeah. I didn't have access to beyond the interwebs. Yeah. 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 Anyway. That's kind of cool. Yeah. You know, oddly enough, that kind of feels like a good place to leave it. We're almost at an hour. It's going to be a couple minutes short maybe, but um, any last words? So, you know, we're, we're talking about the book. I'm just going to plug it one more time. Do it. It's called Life Ritualized, A Witch's Guide to Honoring Life's Important Moments, written by Phoenix Lafay and Guion Raven. It is published by Llewellyn. You can yes. purchase it at Llewellyn. You can purchase it at your favorite online retailer, like the big conglomerate. Like Milk and Honey. Milk-and-honey.com. Well, no, no, you, you just you <laughs> totally ruined the pitch there. We're, oh, we're not a big conglomerate. Oh. People can order it online at their favorite big conglomerate or from their local bookseller like Milk and Honey, Milk and Honey which yeah. is the shop we own. Yeah. I will tell you as an author, a lot of times people say, is it better if I order it from you or a bookshop? Here's my standard answer to that. It's always best if you have the ability to order it directly from a small bookshop, your local bookshop. It doesn't make any difference to us as the author, whether you buy it from no. Amazon or right. com or Milk and Honey or the local bookseller. It doesn't make any difference whatsoever as far as that. But supporting your local bookstore instead of, you know, mega corporation yeah. um, is lovely. Um, it's also great for us because the more bookshops order it, the more good things they say about it, the more other bookshops will yeah. buy it. So I will say, though, helps. if you decide to order it from Milk and Honey, which you, we have it in stock. It just came in, so you're welcome to do so. If you want it signed, we're happy to do that. Just put it in the notes because I don't want to assume someone wants a signed yeah, copy. Yeah. So put it in the notes that you'd like a signature, and we'll sign it for yeah, you. Yeah, we'll ruin the cover of the book by yeah. signing it. You know. Yeah. But yeah, we're happy to do that. But um, if you do read the book and you love it or mostly like it, <laughs> if you could go on and leave a review on the Goodreads or the Googles Amazon, or the it Amazon, Amazon, do it on Amazon, <laughs> that's the best. Um, the more good reviews it gets, the more other bookshops and libraries and yeah. other folk will um, find it. Will find it. Yeah. yeah. All right. Rites of passage and rituals. Yeah. Um, life is a ritual. Yeah. Make it delicious and wonderful. Yeah. Sound good? Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.